When I first started getting into calories, macros, nutrition coaching, all that kind of stuff, I didn't know anything and there was so much to learn. There's different aspects of burning calories. There's actual BMR, which is your basal metabolic rate. There's RMR, your resting metabolic rate. Your body can switch from carbs to fat if it needs to. The point is, is that if you were stranded out on an island and you had zero carbs inside, your body would figure out how to use protein and fat only. talk macros we're gonna talk all about macros and calories today the uh most excited you know it's uh, calories and macros is a funny topic because it's so for whatever reason people there's gonna be people people listening to this right now they're gonna like smile when i say this but you clicked on this because it said how to track your calories and macros yeah little do you know we're not even gonna tell you how i'm just playing just why we will um <laughs> it's just it's funny because it's one of those topics that people click on yeah and they really want to know as if there's this I feel like there's more and more you can learn about it every single time there is i think there's like there is but there isn't mm. and and there, so like he, here's what i would say i think that the more what's the uh there's that term that basically means the more you know the less you know do you know what i'm talking about i don't uh Type in on Google, the more you know, the less you know. Like, there's a meaning behind it. It's like the some somebody's law. I don't want to butcher his name because I'm going to sound stupid. If uh, I Aristotle. Maybe. The more you know, the more you realize you don't know. I mean, that's a great quote. It's a stoic <laughs> quote. But there's like, uh, there's a, there's. The, the more I learn, the less I know. Yeah. What's that? Tony Bennett. Okay. It's not a quote. It's, a, it's literally, I think it's a law. The more, a law? It's like, it's, it's like, uh. Dunning-Kruger? Dunning-Kruger effect would be, maybe that's what it is. It's a cognitive bias whereby people with low ability, expertise, or experience regarding a type of task or area of knowledge, their ability or knowledge. Maybe that's not. <laughs> I thought it started me. with A ha or H. Hag's Law. I don't know. Anyway, basically this concept of like as you, like you kind of go, I thought it was, the maybe, maybe it's just that's the definition of the Dunning-Kruger effect, but yeah. like what it actually means is essentially like, there's this, and somebody's listening to this laughing because they know exactly what we're talking about, and it's on the tip of my tongue, I just can't think of it. But, for example, when I first started getting into calories, macros, nutrition coaching, all that kind of stuff, I didn't know anything, and there was so much to learn, right? And so you start going through this process knowing that you don't know anything at all, and it's very exciting, and you learn more and more and more. And then you get to this point where you think you know everything, and then you realize you know nothing. So it's like this weird curve of... As you get more knowledgeable and begin to think you understand fully and know everything you need to know, you finally learn as much as you can learn in the current time and you realize that you don't even know remotely close to anything. Yeah. And so that kind of applies here because there is, uh, I think. That's what keeps people intrigued. 100%. If you actually go through that curve. Yeah. Because a lot of people are ignorant to it and they will learn enough to think they know everything and they stop trying to pursue more knowledge. And then they're stuck. Right. But with macros and calories, I think it's also one of those things where the more you learn, the, you also realize the less important a lot of it is. And what I mean by that is that for a long time, as I was learning, I assumed that there was this trickery with it. Right. And it's the same thing. It, really, this is more applicable to calories, but there's a lot of people who are still searching for some way to get the best results possible without tracking calories. Yeah. There's like, there's gotta be something else. There's gotta be a different way to calculate my calories. There's gotta be a better way to set up my macros or there's gotta be a different way to diet to lose fat. And the reality is, is that calories are gravity. 
there it, it's the law of thermodynamics just like the law of gravity you don't have to like it but it's a fact and you can't change it and even if you find a different way around it you're still like the law still applies right so you're still going to run into the fact that any diet that you follow is gonna create a calorie deficit if it works if it doesn't work it's not creating a calorie deficit and so a lot of times people will run into that and they're like, well, this diet's not working for me because of X, Y, Z. But if you keep digging down the hole, you realize X, Y, Z is actually just, calorie deficit. it's a calorie deficit in the sense that, well, this diet is something that I can't be consistent on because it doesn't give me the right energy. So I can't train hard, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, so it is something you can't sustain because you end up lacking energy. And if you lack energy, your neat goes down, your step count and your training performance suffers, which means you probably can't train as often. You might actually lose sleep because of it. Blah, 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 blah. All of that leads to less calories being burned in the gym and outside of the gym, right? If it's a keto diet, usually keto diet works at first because you cut out a bunch of carbs and you lose weight because you're in a calorie deficit. And then you realize how to make keto recipes and you start eating more calories because you're figuring out what foods to include in the diet because your knowledge of the diet increases and you stop losing weight because now you're not in a calorie deficit because you learn these creative recipes and you figured out what foods you can eat, bacon, avocado, olive oil, really calorie dense foods. You take yourself out of the calorie deficit. Mm -hmm. Lo and behold, now you don't lose weight. Well, keto worked for me for a while, but it's just not working anymore. No, you, you learned keto so well that you took yourself out of a deficit, right? So same thing with intermittent fasting, cut out breakfast. Yeah. You're going to lose weight because you're in a calorie deficit, but eventually your hunger cues, your circadian rhythm, all these things are going to catch up and get accustomed to eating in the afternoon or just eating the morning. And you're going to learn that you have to eat more calories in a certain window and more calories being consumed in a certain window means that you're slowly but surely taking yourself out of a deficit. Yeah. So, and there's studies to prove all this stuff, but my point is, is that I think that my goal with this podcast is more or less to teach the simple fundamentals of macros and calories, like what you actually need to know. And if there's obviously, if there's follow-up questions, just click the link or the button or whatever in the show notes. I think if you're on Spotify, there's a button. Otherwise, there's always a link. Ask us a question in regards to the macro podcast. Ask us whatever, and we'll, we'll dive into that because there's always nuances and what about in this scenario and that scenario. But at the end of the day, there's, there's just fundamentals. You got to create a calorie deficit. We're going to tell you how to do that. We're going to tell you why macros are so important within the calorie deficit and essentially how to utilize this without getting confused or lost in the weeds for unnecessary reasons yeah have you ever had any like clients come to you and confused about like if they've been on like uh like one of those diets that do, does like the point system like atkins or uh what's the other one uh weight watchers weight watchers points. there yeah. you go there you yeah. go i don't know what the atkins I'm so atkins was just low carb mm. um so you bait the atkins diet was just a variation of low carb diet but to follow an atkins diet so like so low carb that you were into a calorie deficit at first until you figure out how to you know, but, but the Atkins diet though, as well, like the Atkins diet works, but it's because it cuts carbs out and we cut carbs out. It cuts calories out. The problem with the Atkins diet, in my opinion, in any low carb diet, which we'll get into with the macro section is that usually that leads to lack of performance, lack of recovery, lack of muscle, lack of energy, all the things you carbs. need. Sometimes lack of fiber all because of carbs are gone. So it's usually not as sustainable. Um, Weight Watchers is a point system where it's, it's basically calories and, and it, it's really funny because all these are really smart. Um, there's another diet. I can't remember what it's called, but um, some people listening will recognize it. It's basically like you, you get these Tupperwares and they're different color lids. Mm. And obviously it's portion control, right? So certain Tupperwares are bigger than others. And you have certain ones at certain times, like there's snack sizes, meal sizes. Well, guess what? The smaller the Tupperware, the less food it is. So as you go through the diet and the Tupperwares change, you're cutting out food, you're cutting out calories, you're eating less, you're in a deficit, you lose weight. So the uh there was the atkins uh what was the other weight watchers the point system 
you have to get their point system software app or book or whatever. Usually you, you got to buy foods that are associated with the point system because they would have these companies that would make foods that have the point system on it. Um, The Atkins diet, same thing. If you're going to follow the Atkins diet to a T, you got to buy the book and then you got to buy the Atkins protein bars and the Atkins protein powder and the Atkins like freezer uh, hungry man like style meals because Atkins made it. So it's for the diet. No, but I've seen them at store. Oh yeah. Um, But the point is, is that, you have to buy all that shit. That's what's really funny about it all. So Weight Watchers, you got to buy Genius. do the point system. Well, what are the points? They're just a different way of them saying calories. So yeah. what, like 100, 100 calories is 10 points. So they just make their special food and says 10 points instead of 10 calories, and then you buy it, and that's okay. going to work better. Yeah. Because you're trying to skip the part where you just learn a thing or two about food and your body and nutrition, right? Which is really important. That's what we do with our clients is teach them this stuff. Atkins, you got to buy their bars and all that stuff. The the point or the Tupperware thing, you got to buy their special Tupperware with their different colored lids. It's all it's all marketing. Yeah, you know what I mean. But all of them just reduce your portion to reduce your food to make you eat in a deficit. And this is like some of you might be listening and nodding your head like you know, and some of you might recognize that you know with some of these labels, uh, these diet labels. But I want you to think about this in regards to everything. Every diet. You, you hear about every diet, you look into every, anything, look at it and try to really ask yourself, where, where do they make money? Yeah. Because a lot of times there is some kind of dollar being made behind the scenes of what is going on and how they do it. And it's branded to them and their system for that purpose, which look, I get, we got to make money too. We just do it in a more, uh, authentic and integrity based way. In my opinion, yeah. we actually teach people, we teach people how to not need a coach for the rest of life. Cause we're going to show them what to do. Um, but anyway, the, the, all the diets out there, they all end up creating some kind of deficit. And if you can like listen to this podcast, hear what I'm saying now, learn, learn what we're going to talk about, but also be able to put that filter, like the, the lens on your, your glasses, so to speak, you're like, you know, they have like, what do they call it? Bullshit goggles or bullshit glasses where you can detect, exactly. you can read bullshit. Same thing. It's just for diets. Yeah. Try to see what be this aware. stuff is. Yeah. So you can be aware. So l- let's uh, let's talk calories. Calories are like mentioned everywhere. Mm-hmm. Food labels, r- restaurant menus, you know, recipe blogs, food, uh, food tracking applications all over the place. What what is what exactly are calories and why are they beneficial? How do they work? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to dive into the I mean, I'll, I'll briefly say it, but like I'll butcher it if I try to go too deep. So we'll just like briefly cover the definition of what a calorie is and then we'll kind of get into why it's important totally. so the ca- a calorie is actually literally it's a uh it's a a form of heat it's a it's a, a metric or a reading of heat so it's it's your core temperature essentially like there's a uh, a machine that they test you can test food and stuff with but like in your body every calorie raises your core temperature and aka your metabolism to a certain degree and every degree would be a calorie right so like if uh, um, a certain engine has 300 horsepower, right? I don't know shit about engines, but like, let's say that, for example, and another one has 400, that's like one piece of food having 300 calories and one have another. It's a, it's a degree of power. It's a metric of heat or energy, right? And so when we take a certain amount of calories in, we're taking in a certain amount of energy, that energy produces heat in our body, and that's how they gauge the amount of calories. Um, I don't remember what the, I think the, the machine's just called something like a calor, calorometer or something like that. Um, and it's just how they, they basically put it in this glass thing and they like basically light the food on fire and it gives them a temperature and that tells them how, how many calories. Yeah. They basically, I wow. think they like literally explode food. I've never watched it happen, but, yeah. um, 
So that's what a calorie literally is. But in a simplified manner, a calorie is a numerical, it's a tool, it's a metric that you can use in order to track the amount of energy you are consuming and or burning, which energy is going to be calories. Calories are going to be coming from food. So if we're burning the food we're taking in or the food that we've stored as fat, the calories that we store as fat, we can gauge the input output essentially to change our body because our body needs to be in a deficit to lose fat maintenance to maintain our weight and body fat and muscle and it needs to be in a surplus to build muscle not all the time and the surplus for building muscle is probably the most confusing and has the most uh it depends secondary pathways that we can go down because you know depending on how long like you can build muscle in deficit in certain situations at maintenance in certain situations in some situations there's no way in hell and you have to be in a surplus not going to get into that because this is going to be more about fat loss today but I say that to say on a blanket statement, general, general terms, uh, surplus equals gain, maintenance equals maintenance, obviously, and then deficit equals weight loss. Because when you're in a calorie deficit, it means that you're consuming less calories, aka food, than you are burning per day. And there's different aspects of burning calories. There's actual um, BMR, which is your basal metabolic rate. There's RMR, your resting metabolic rate. And then there's uh, all the additive, uh, they would call activity multipliers. So the thermic effect of food, how many calories you burn digesting, your EAT, your EAT, exercise activity thermogenesis, how many calories you burn exercising, and then your NEAT, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. All of these things lead into your TDEE, total daily energy expenditure. Resting metabolic rate is just, I'm not talking, I'm not moving, I'm just sleeping, I'm just laying here, that's my resting metabolic rate. How many calories do I burn just being a moveless blob just sitting there? BMR is your basal metabolic rate. Exactly. Basal metabolic rate is just a little bit, a step up, like, I'm talking, I'm thinking, I'm looking, I'm seeing, you know, I'm, I'm doing things. Um, and then the activities obviously add to that. When I start walking around and moving, literally, that's non-exercise activity thermogenesis, uh, and then eat exercise activity thermogenesis. I go to the gym and I'm training, I'm burning calories with intention. Uh, and then TEF, which is a very small portion of all this is your thermic effect of food. Cause your body has to burn calories to digest food. And it's good to know this stuff because your body requires energy to do everything. So if you think about while you diet longer and longer and you start feeling negative effects, this is why if your hair stops, like for, for women, if you've been dieting a long time or you're starting to have thyroid dysfunction from being in chronic deficit and your hair starts thinning or falling out or, or you're getting split ends and really dry skin, cracking nails, all of these things are happening because you're chronically dieting and or your thyroid has been slowing down, which is usually a byproduct of that. Of dieting. But if you think about it, well, why is that? Well, skin has cells. It's tissue your hair has cells everything has cells everything requires energy to continue generating right it's why as we get older what happens our skin gets dry and cracked our nails don't grow as fast our hair doesn't grow as fast the only thing that keeps growing is our ears literally which is weird at an extremely slow put pace facts but look at an 80 year old man he's got big ears really oh yeah wow. they're the only thing that keeps growing slowly <laughs> but surely it's very very weird observation Shannon told me that and I was like, no way. And I Googled it and sure enough. But then I started noticing like my grandparents' ears were kind of big. And I was like, whoa, that is true. Interesting. So your ears probably don't take that many calories to grow. But yeah. my point is, is like all these functions in your body are part of 
I mean, really metabolism and metabolism is the, it's the system in your body that takes the calories we're taking in and it uses them for things. Your brain requires calories. Your movement requires calories, your hair, your skin, your eyes, your nails, your uh, healing a cut, healing a wound. Everything, everything requires testosterone, uh, cortisol, insulin, all these hormones. They need energy. Everything is constantly producing and changing, right? So um, point being is that we need to be aware of that in order to know the importance of calories because if you're not eating enough, then obviously these things are going to slow down. At times, that's fine. But if you're chronically eating too little, it's only a matter of time before, you know, chaos starts happening inside your body because everything in your body needs calories to function. You know, it's literally how your brain thinks. And this is why, and we're not going to talk about this day, but this is even why it's so important. Um, and you, you probably remember, I talked a little bit about this uh, at the uh, presentation I did for the firefighters, the seminar, mm-hmm. where we were talking more about the brain and mental health and things like that and why diet is so important. Certain nutrients and certain types of macros as well as just overall calories really do have a big impact on your productivity, your decision-making, your thought process, um, stress response, stress recovery, dopamine, serotonin, all these things in your brain. So if we just neglect calories and neglect our nutrition, well, we can't wonder why we're lethargic, why we're tired, why we're hungry, why we're uh, craving foods or why we're sweating more often than not, why we're uh, cramping up, why we're in a bad mood, irritated. Like there's a lot of things that can, it's not always that somebody could just have been a Karen to you and you're just mad at them. But like the point is, is it plays a big role. So calories are, are basically in a nutshell, in control of most of what our body does because our body's dynamic. So yes, carbs play a big role in some of the energy protocols and stuff we'll get into, but uh, your body can switch from carbs to fat if it needs to. The point is, is that if you were stranded out on an island and you had zero carbs inside, your body would figure out how to use protein and fat only to produce because it's a survival. Your body is going to survive, right? So Calories are fuel. Calories produce energy. Calories are energy. Calories are what we use to fuel different processes and rebuild uh, tissue and recreate uh, all the different functions and cells and things that happen in our body. Um, and we can manipulate the calories that we're taking in in order to lose weight uh, and fat, maintain our weight and or gain weight and muscle, essentially. Totally. So, Cool. All right. Well, let's move deeper into the calories and talk about something you've never talked about before, macros. Um, why is using macros as a diet tool so efficient and so beneficial? What are they? Break them down. Like, obviously, we know the carbs, fats, and protein, but just kind of talk more about that. Yeah, so um, the way I look at macros, especially for in the context of dieting for fat loss, is going to be um, it's essentially the individualization tool. So it's how we take those calories and we individualize it to you how we tailor literally the diet to you specifically. We, we know that first and foremost, you need to be in a calorie. Again, your calorie balance is what we would call it, right? So your energy balance is going to be calorie deficit maintenance or surplus. That's going to dictate the way our body goes. But how do we two things? One, support the functions of our body more optimally for us individually within that calorie balance. And then two, make sure that it's supporting us from a adherence perspective. So, macros are protein, fats, and carbs. We have a whole podcast and blog on each one of those. And so um, I would definitely encourage you guys to go that because I could do a whole podcast on just protein. But 
to briefly touch on them, protein is the most important nutrient that you can take in. It's a, uh, it's what's called an essential nutrient. And that means you literally cannot survive without protein. Uh, protein is going to be in charge of recovery. It's the building blocks of all tissue in the body. And it's going to be supportive of a lot of different functions just in the rebuilding process. So if we want to maintain tendon, bone, ligament, uh, muscle tissue, all those kind of things, we need protein or else we would just be weak, feeble, and fall apart, essentially. Um, protein is also the highest thermic food, so you burn the most calories digesting it because it's the most difficult for your body to digest. And although being the most difficult to digest makes it sound like it's going to be a gut issue, um, it does not cause gut issues, and there's zero evidence of any research supporting the fact that people would have bad gut health because of protein. Um, now, if you eat too much protein, you could be really bloated because if you have too much protein, it's going to sit in your gut until it's used and or dispersed usually through sweat and urine because uh leftover protein turns into uh essentially nitrate is what it's called and you just piss it out or sweat it out so typically the worst case scenario when you have too much protein you get really bloated and you get the night sweats you'll know if you have too much protein exactly um but the nice thing about your body is that it doesn't have a storage component for protein from a fat perspective so protein gets consumed and we utilize the amino acids in it to help build up new tissues and and recover, but it can't really be stored as body fat like carbs and fats can. So if you put yourself in a surplus with protein, either A, you go in such a big surplus that your body's going to store the fat and carbs because you go into a surplus, even if you got into the surplus because you ate too much protein, or your body's literally just going to like I said, sweat and piss. It up. will not go straight to your biceps. It's just, yeah, unfortunately that's not how it works. Once you get to a certain point, I've tried that. It, this is not how it works. Um, so that's protein as a whole. Uh, then that we have fats. Fats are another essential nutrient, so you cannot survive without them. Um, people usually hear that and think that you need more and more, but unlike protein, they absolutely can be stored as fat because they are fat. It's actually the easiest nutrient to store as fat because it doesn't require your body uh, to do much from a mechanistic perspective, your body doesn't really have to do much besides let's put it over there because it's already fat. I ingested it. I have enough to support it's my needs from fat. I'm just going to put it over there. Right. Uh, it's very easy. So once you get enough fat, you don't need any more and fats are going to mainly support your hormones, um, as well as a little bit for your nervous system. There is some benefits to, uh, different organs and such in your body as well as inflammation and things like that. Um, there's plenty of good nutrients that do other things. Uh, and it's, it's not fat that's doing it. It's the micronutrients. So the vitamins and minerals and such that are in the fat source you take in, but in general, fats are very nutrient dense, both from a micro perspective to help support your health, um, from a macro perspective to support your hormones, but also from a calorie perspective. So they're the highest, uh, calorie per gram macro there is. So protein and carbs are four grams per or four calories per gram. Fat is nine calories per gram, more than double. So this is why it's very easy for people to go on a low carb diet and end up being in a surplus and gaining weight because it's very easy to eat too many calories in fats. And if you think about like, if you have a hundred calories of carbs and a hundred calories of fats, hundred calories of carbs is going to be, let's say my whole hand, whereas a hundred calories of fats is going to be like a small portion of my palm, which you would think like, this is more food. This is a small amount of food, but it doesn't work like that. It's not always food either, right? Like olive oil or... Most of them aren't actually. Yeah, okay. um, so most of them are going to be, uh, yeah, oils. So maybe avocado... That, oil. I don't know if that's food, but... I, I mean, yeah. Anything, I, t- I guess like... I'm not calories. calling it food. Yeah, it's yeah. calories. <laughs> I'm not going to eat olive oil, yeah. but it's it's consumed. Yeah, so, by itself. Um, <laughs> the, uh, there are different types of fats that are solid, obviously. Nuts, 
Um, and then there's some that are solid at room temperature, like butter, mm-hmm. um, coconut oil, ghee, stuff like that. Um, those are usually saturated fats, but, um, in general fats are, are going to support your hormones more than anything. And then carbs are, are what's left. Um, carbs are actually not an essential nutrient, so you don't need them to survive, which is why a lot of people gravitated towards keto diet and said that it's probably best because you don't need carbs. So why would you have them in? Our ancestors didn't eat them. Well, our ancestors didn't eat them as much because they didn't understand agriculture. So they didn't know how to take grains and make bread out of it. Uh, And actually they did at a certain point, they learned how to do it. And guess what? They started doing it. (laughs) So, um, cause they could eat more food in abundance and they realized that, I mean, even for your brain, it's the, it's the number one fuel source for your brain, your nervous system, your muscles, everything. So if you want your muscles to contract optimally, if you want your muscles to grow and recover and build optimally, if you want, your body to stay hydrated, avoid cramping. You want to be thinking and be more productive. Um, the list is endless. You can't neglect carbs. They are the most important nutrient for um, producing any form of energy, thought process, pro- productivity, anything like that. Um, you can store them as fat, so it's not that you, you know you can have endless carbs. Um, but even when you do go into a surplus of carbs, there's a lot of times where going into a surplus plus of carbs just forces your body to store excess fat because carbs have to go through a difficult process mechanistically to be stored as fat. They're going to store in your muscle tissue and get used um, there or in your liver as liver glycogen. Uh, Everything else is, I mean, going to wait until you get to use it. And if you have an excess of calories, you're probably going to store the fat as body fat, unless your fat is super low and you're just eating an insane amount of carbs. Um, But again, even if we like, without going too deep into those semantics, it all boils down to the fact that you went into a calorie surplus. Yeah. Calories are always first and most important. So those are the different macros. And um, essentially, they're important because it individualizes this. So if somebody has a higher activity level, they're going to want more carbs, less fat. If somebody has a very low activity level, they're probably going to want a lower amount of carbs, a higher amount of fat, because uh, fats are actually going to support low intensity movement. So if your only activity is just moving around, walking around, doing yoga, there's not really a reason for doing a ton, having a ton of carbs. Um, if you have a specific hormone issue, it could be linked to low fats. You might need more fat. If you're super, super lean and you've been lean for too long and your level of body fat on your body is so low that that's causing hormone issues, you're going to want more fat, right? Because you need to eat fat to store fat and or produce hormones that you're not getting through your body. Because, for example, vitamin D and and cholesterol and these things can be converted into testosterone. But when you get leaner and leaner and leaner and you have less body fat, you have less body fat to store vitamins to help your hormones. And therefore, you need to consume the fats with the vitamins in order to produce vitamin D and cholesterol and testosterone in your body. So there's times where fats are more important. There's times where carbs are more important. Um, and we play with those to basically optimize the diet for the individual working with. And then on the adherence side, which was the second point of why they're important and why they individualize the process, certain people just naturally crave carbs more than fats and vice versa. So for that person, if I'm going to, if I can work the macros in a way that gives you an abundance of the macro that you typically crave more often or supports what you do day to day to avoid you craving it later on, you're going to adhere to the diet longer, right? Because you're not going to run into those cravings and you're not going to have that issue. And and I'm giving you the food that your body naturally wants and craves. Um, Or even from a cultural perspective, we can look at different cultures and different cultures use different types of meals and recipes that might have more carbs or fats. Um, I will say a lot of times, uh, a lot of that stuff is, it's a combination. So even like, actually, this is a good one I'll ask you. Um, and if you answer it correctly, 
then it's not going to work. But yeah. uh, when you think of Italian food, what do you think of carbs or fats? Carbs. It is 100% equal, if not more fats. Because if you actually watch an Italian person cook anything, there's lots of butter, there's lots of oil, all the oh. meat is very fatty meat, there's meat in the sauce. Because even like I used to think of red sauce for spaghetti. I'm like, that's pure carb. I, I was thinking uh, Alfredo, but yeah. Yeah. So Alfredo is even more fat for yeah. sure. But even Damn. red sauce, you would only think, well, Alfredo is basically just melted. Have you ever watched somebody make no, I haven't. I hadn't either until Shannon's family made it. And I was like, oh, so Alfredo sauce is just... Butter, milk, and a I bunch was thinking of cheese. Noodles, so that's why I said carbs. So noodles are definitely carbs. Yeah. Uh, and that's why you think carbs. Yeah. And then they pour Alfredo sauce, yeah. which is just pure milk, butter, and cheese. Which is probably more ratio-wise than the yeah. noodles. Especially because uh, fats are more calorically dense. Uh, so if you think of red sauce, you usually think of carbs. Yeah. Because it's like just tomatoes and stuff. But the meat inside there is really fatty meat. They usually cook the meat in oil. And then they usually put butter in the sauce, which I did not know. And that's part of the reason why it tastes so damn good. Makes, but, makes sense. Um, so that's a lot of fat, right? Um, pizza. The dough has carbs, but it also has fat. The oil that you put on it, the meat you put on it, like the cheese you put on it, it ends up being more fats than carbs. Totally. You know, so uh, point being is that a lot of times it is mixed. Um, a diet that is very uh, moderate or low in fats and pretty high in carbs and uh, the type of fats really, really healthy is Japanese diet. A lot of omega-3s, a lot of raw fish. Um, they also eat a lot of uh, seaweed and stuff like that, which in kelp, which is really good for your thyroid because it's high in iodine. But they have a lot of white rice, a lot of carbs. Um, so that would be a good example of the opposite. But point being is that depending on your culture, depending on your day-to-day life, your activity levels, what you crave, um, all those kind of things, we can set up the macros in a way that's going to support your lifestyle, your culture, your day-to-day meals, your cravings, your performance, all those things. And if we cre- basically cater the, the macros to your goals, your calories are going to do the job of losing the weight that you want, but the macros are going to allow you to feel better doing it yeah. and adhere to it longer. And if you adhere to it longer consistently, you're going to have a way easier time losing weight. Totally. So let's talk about how to create or get those, you know, broken up numbers for macros, you know, that, you know, you've talked about how there's different formulas and which not. And I know there's, you know, more prevalent or more uh, accurate mm-hmm. ones than others. But talk about there. I know there's three different ones. Um, but, yeah, if you want to talk about those, maybe even talk about some pros and cons of each one, maybe. Hey, sorry to interrupt this podcast, but I briefly want to mention my company, Tailored Coaching Method. I found a Tailored Coaching Method in 2017 as a way to help people lose weight, build muscle, and transform their lives because I began to see that every other area of people's lives started to change and get better and be more successful when... They got in shape and they felt better in their skin. And since then, I've built an entire team of world-class coaches who help people around the world transform right before our eyes. And because you're listening to this podcast, I got to imagine you want to get in shape too, or you're already in shape and you're looking to take it to the next level. Either way, we are the company for you. We specialize in body composition and we can help you no matter where you are in your fitness journey. So if you want help, you want expert coaching, and you want to finally get to the next level so you can start actually looking like you work out, head over to tailoredcoachingmethod.com and click the big yellow button and click the big yellow button front and center on the screen. Or simply go to the description of this podcast and click that link and apply today. The strategy call is completely free and it gives us a chance to get to know you, you a chance to get to know us, and by the end of it, we'll decide if it's a good fit and move forward. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, there's, honestly, there's probably even more. I, I like I think that the most popular, I think, right now are, are um, 
Harris Benedict's been around for a while. Um, and I know there's a few more that, and this goes to show how important they are. Cause I don't even remember them. Yeah. Um, one, if you get the one that's good, you just stick with it. Right. Like, um, uh, which we typically use Mifflin St. Gior. That's probably the most accurate. And I would say if you talk to any, that's what Google told me that it's the most accurate. Yeah. Oh, good. I was going to say, if you talk to most like evidence-based professionals or scientists or anything, they're probably going to say that too. Um, so Mifflin St. George is the most accurate. You can also do like literally just super easy. Take your body weight if you're, uh, and this is just how things work typically because, uh, genetically speaking, men have more muscle tissue on their body, no matter what they have more capacity for muscle, uh, which means that they have a, a higher metabolic rate on average, uh, because every ounce of muscle increases the amount of calories you burn at rest. Yeah. So, um, you can literally take your body weight and go, okay, if you're a female and you want to lose weight times your body weight by eight. And if you're a male times it by 10. Um, and I would say the range there is actually eight to 10 for women and 10 to 12 for men for fat loss. And that's very cut and dry simple. So I'm, uh, as of this morning, 172 pounds, so I'm down three pounds since we started the diet. Um, thank you. Um, <laughs> Round of applause. What is that? 10. Um, oh, I should have clicked the, yeah. the round of applause button. Um, we need to, if anybody's interested in being an intern that just pushes sound effects on the <laughs> sits here and makes it sound awesome. Waits for the perfect moment. Um, but my body weight times 10 would be, uh, 1700 basically. Right. And then times 12 would probably be almost 2000. I don't know what that would be. Maybe yeah. 1900 or something like that. Um, that's going to definitely lose weight for me. I'm, I'm above that right now. Um, so I wouldn't need to go that low. That's an aggressive diet, right? Um, however, this is what I will say too. On average, I get about, uh, like I would say 11 to 13,000 steps per day. I'm also doing four days a week of cardio for 25 minutes on an incline treadmill that does not count in those steps. And I train five days a week and I'm a pretty fidgety guy. So like I burn a lot of calories. I'm, I burn more calories than the average person. And I've, I have a decent amount of muscle for my size. So I'm going to be on the higher end of that. But like if the everyday person came to me and they wanted to lose weight and they didn't have a high step count, they weren't already doing cardio, they trained maybe three or four days a week, or they just started training and they have a lot of fat to lose, 10 to 12 times their body weight is a great way to lose weight. It really is. And sometimes for uh, somebody who is even less active or has a long way to go or has a lot, like a long way to go as in a lot of weight to lose, they have 50, 60, 70 pounds to lose, times it by eight. Yeah, it's a big deficit, but they have enough stored body fat that it's not going to negatively impact them. And it's probably better to lose it fast because the, the more weight you lose, the healthier they get. And then you can bring their calories up later on. But that's just a really easy, simple way. 8 to 10, 10 to 12. Um, and it's probably the least accurate, but at times it can work and it can be really simple for people. Now, the, the other way to do this that is not based on a calculation, and all these calculations are just going to spit out your calories, right? So the Harris-Benedict formula or the Mifflin-St-Gior is going to give you your, what I said earlier, total daily energy expenditure. So it's going to take your RMR and BMR and then use an activity multiplier based on how much activity you, you tell the calculator and the formula that you, um, that you actually have per day, per week. And, uh, and you can actually do this on our website. We have, uh, we'll link it in the description of the show, but we have a macro calculator on there. But when you do this calculation, it's going to give you your total daily energy expenditure. That's your maintenance calories. So technically it's giving you an answer. And let's say it says 2000 calories for easy math. That means at 2000 calories, you will maintain your weight. You would need to create a deficit from that to lose weight, which we'll get into soon, but that is your maintenance calories. If you were doing the eight to 10, 10, to 12, that's deficit. That's not your maintenance. So that's like me telling you your maintenance and then slashing calories off that to help you lose weight. Um, 
Now, the, the third in the most accurate way, it's not this random number and it's not a calculation. It's actually just taking your average weigh-ins. So typically, the most optimal way to do it is seven to 14 days. In the coaching space, it's unrealistic to do that. So ideally, somebody comes to us already tracking calories and we we're, were able to do that. But realistically speaking, I'm not going to tell somebody like, once you pay me, I want you to track your macros and your weight for two weeks straight so I can get a more accurate reading. And I'm not going to give you any coaching until you do. Like, it's just stupid. I, I want to give you value the, the minute you start. So we asked for three days, three to five days, um, which is really easy because if you're filling out the questionnaire, you're taking your before picture, you do all that while you're tracking the, those that's three days alone. And then I can get a couple more days maybe. But even then, if you give me three days in my fitness pal and I see your daily calories and your your weight is what it is, I can, I mean, I can guess that most of your days look like that. Perfect world scenario for me is when a client gives me like three to four, five days and one to two of those days is on a weekend. Because then I can see like, okay, this is how you eat Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but how do you eat on a Saturday and Sunday? You know, because things change. So when I have that information, I just look at it and I go, okay, what's the average amount of calories they're taking in? So let's say seven, for example. If they have seven weigh-ins and seven days of tracking food, I just take the, basically those seven days, add them all together for one grand total of, uh, of calories, and then I divide it by seven. That is their weekly caloric average intake. And that's more important than their daily average intake. Because if I put you in a deficit and you're in that deficit, but every Saturday, Sunday, you eat an extra 2,000 calories because you go out with the girls and do whatever, well, now that deficit's not a deficit anymore because yeah. you're taking yourself out of that weekly deficit. Then your weigh-ins, it, it's, it's really telling too because one, if you weigh, let's say you weigh 200 pounds on Monday and then by Friday, you're like 196. And then I go, let's do another week and then you're back to 200. Well, it's because the weekends are, you know, and you're in this cycle of, you gain on the weekend, you lose it through the week. And you gain on the weekend, you lose it through the week. Which I will say this. I've been in a place where I've done that and I'm totally content with it because I wasn't trying to lose weight. So if I gain weight because I eat a bunch of food on the weekend and then it just kind of falls off throughout the week, but I'm always at this place where I'm happy, yeah, I'm, I win. But if you're listening to this and you're trying to lose fat, that is the last thing you want, right? You want to continually lose 100%. So what we're looking for is that, but we're also looking for, okay, like let's say you weighed 200, 201, 199, 199.5, 200, 202. Like you, that's how weight is. Again, take those seven weigh-ins, add them all together, divide them by seven. That's your average weight. And by the end of it, I can look at it and go, okay, for you to, your average weight is 200.5 pounds and your average caloric intake is 2,100 calories. Like that's what it takes to maintain your weight right now. Obviously, that's just one week. So if we had two, three weeks, it would be more accurate. But I don't also don't think we need that because I can also assess a client by looking at their MyFitnessPal. I can talk to them, ask them questions, look at their questionnaire, and I can determine, okay, this is what we see in their macros, in their calories, but I don't think they're accurately tracking because they don't fully understand. Like I can see they use a lot of cups and tablespoons. They're not using a scale. So we can err on the side that it's probably a, you know, let's add an extra 10% on this number. Um, I see some restaurants eating out and they ate pretty light at that restaurant. That doesn't normally happen. You, you, most people track at a restaurant and they err on the side of less or they, they add something in and they eat a little bit more. They have chips on the table too, or they try their husband's thing too, or their wife's thing too. You know what I mean? So there's always added stuff. Um, on the weekend, they go out and I don't see any drinks. Where were the drinks? You know, or they put vodka. And I'm like, okay, what did you have with that vodka? You ain't drinking vodka on the rocks. Yeah. And if you're taking shots at 45 years old while we're trying to lose weight, like <laughs> we need to talk about some habits, you know. <laughs> Which, granted, every, everyone's, I took a shot of whiskey on 4th of July. Yeah. That was about as far as I go. But point being is we can look at the habits and go, okay, we're going to err on the side that this is probably not accurate. 
So I could just keep you here and you'd lose weight because this is probably a deficit if I actually got you to consistently eat 2150 calories, right? But point being is that's an easy way to calculate your maintenance calories. And then from there, which I think is what we have listed next probably, um, unless I'm skipping over anything, but it's creating a deficit from that, mm-hmm. right? Once we calculate calories. Uh, yep. Talking about the, the ratio splits. Um, well, so before we even get to the ratios, we have to, you know... Well, I guess that's not in there. Then. Okay. Yeah. So I guess, um, we could actually, and this is probably why I wrote it this way. Um, when I did put this together is like, we could create, we, we should create the macros before we create a deficit, because if we create a deficit straight out the gate, which at times is okay. Like I said, if I think somebody's inaccurately tracking, I can keep them where they're quote unquote at and teach them how to accurately do so. Or I can improve their habits because one good habit of healthy people who stay lean is they eat very healthy voluminous foods. So going back to that analogy of like a whole, like a hundred calories of rice versus nuts, like we can choose foods that are more voluminous per calorie. So if I start doing that, it's easier for them to actually hit that lower caloric total with healthy foods and stay full, not feel like they're dieting, even though they are in a deficit and they start losing weight during a priming phase. But nonetheless, we go into this priming phase before a deficit and that's where we calculate macros and keep them at this level. So we've calculated their total daily energy expenditure, which is their maintenance calories through all this. And now we want to keep them there for a little bit while dividing up their calories into specific macros and essentially teaching them the right habits before diving into a deficit. So, and, and, it, and it works like that step-by-step step essentially. So we have their maintenance calories. Now we go into tr- calorie, uh, their actual macros for those calories. And there's some different splits we can use. I mean, there's uh, ratios. So a lot of people like ratios, which is percentages. Um, 40, 40, 20 is a popular one. 40% protein, 40% carb, 20% fat. And that's always in that sequence when you're listing out macros, protein, carb, fat. Um, then you can do 40, 30, 30, uh, which I want to say is zone. Um, I'm not hundred percent sure, uh, zone diet you can do in 40, 40, 20 is more of like a bodybuilding approach, lower fat. Cause you don't really want to go below 20% of your calories and fat protein, carb, fat. Yep. Um, and then there you can do shit, uh, 40, 35, 25. That's another one. Uh, you could do 35, 45, 25. Like, I mean, you could literally spin this almost any way. Uh, if you were to do a keto diet, it would be like 10% protein, 10% carb, 80 plus percent fat which is a true keto diet, it's low protein, slow everything. Um, don't recommend that. But like the the point is, is you can split these ratios up in any way. They're good starting base points. Yeah, We don't use them at our company. We don't use any ratios or percentages like that uh, because we want to individualize it to the person versus giving them a gen- generic thing. But it can give you like an idea of where to start. You know, if you're listening to this and you're just trying to figure out like, where should I be about? You know, 30 to 40% of protein is, is definitely recommended. You don't need to go over 40% of your diet, but you do want at least 30% um, because the more calories you're taking in from protein, the more likely you are to build and maintain muscle, the more likely you are to stay satiated. Cause like I said earlier, it's the most satiating nutrient, the most difficult nutrient to digest. You can't store it as fat. It's a good nutrient to have a higher percentage of during a diet. Um, carbs and fats are the ones that you kind of play with back and forth. If you want to go on a low or a high carb diet, but typically I think the best splits in my opinion are going to be. protein, 40% carbs, 20% fat, or 40% protein, 35% carbs, 25% fat. And that's just giving somebody a little bit more balance, usually because they want more flexibility in the diet. Yeah. They want more room for fat. You said some of those ratios are high carb, high protein, or when would you want to use low carb, high fat, or vice versa? Typically for me, I look at it like 
and I and I'm not just so once upon a time I would give people the diet that I just thought was best because I liked it. Yeah, or it and it worked for me. Yeah. And that's just not that's not good coaching. Um, so know that I understand that when I say this, but the vast majority of my clients are in what I just mentioned, higher carb, lower fat and lower fat is, is a, for me is like, again, 20% of your calories, um, or, uh, 0.35 times your body weight to 0.4. There's time. And this is where it's very hard. And this is why ratios don't always work. If somebody, if I have a female who weighs a hundred pounds, 0.35 is like nothing, you know? Yeah. So like if, if we have somebody like that, even if I want to do a low carb, low fat diet, she would be fine with really low fat, but the, and there are like women who want to recomp or build muscle and they're five foot tall and a hundred pounds. Like if I'm trying to build up their calories, like I need to have fats just for flexibility. Like if I, if I calculated it just based off of what the averages are and they're eating, what is that? So technically you can literally, the lowest you want to go is 0.25 pound uh, grams per pound of, of body weight. Right. So if I did that for me, it puts me at like 40, 45 grams. That's pretty low, but I'll survive. But 20 or 20. Exactly. 20, 25 grams fat. That's like ridiculous. And even if physiologically speaking, they would be fine because they're that light. What do you eat? Yeah. Like you literally just strictly eat nonfat Greek yogurt and white rice like all day. Like there's just, so there's no flexibility there. So there's times where these rules go out the window. Um, but generally speaking, the lower end is 0.25, the higher end is 0.5. Um, and that's like a low to moderate fat diet. And uh, I usually, for people, I'm usually putting them anywhere between 0.8 to 1.2 grams per pound of protein, uh, uh, per pound of body weight in protein. Uh, 0.8 being if they have a lot of weight to lose. Uh, 1 to 1.2 if they don't have a lot of weight to lose. They're just trying to get shredded. They want to build muscle, recomp, that kind of thing. Um, one is obviously the average and that's the most common. I often like putting people just above their, uh, body weight and protein, especially if they only have 20 pounds or less to lose. And then their fats usually going to be around that like 0.35 to 0.4. Um, it's on the higher end of low. So I have room to pull from them if I need to push them into a deeper deficit, but I know for a fact their hormones are fine. So again, that 0.25 is the lower end of where you want to go for a hormonal health perspective. Granted, the deeper you go into a deficit, the more likely it is your hormones are going to take a hit regardless. So whether, even if you keep your fats at 0.4 grams per pound and you're in a huge deficit for a while, your hormones are going to take a hit because yeah. calories always trump everything in this scenario, right? Macros come second. Um, but typically those are, that's kind of like where I'm going with it. And the way I adjust, and this is why it's mostly higher carb, lower fat for people I personally work with, not us as a whole, as a company is because a lot of the people I work with now for me personally on my roster are usually people who are pretty into training and they want muscle too. They don't yeah. want to just lose weight. They want to lose body fat and get shredded, which means they want to keep their, their muscle. And I don't mean shredded, like get on stage. I work with general people, everyday people, not bodybuilders and stuff. I have a couple of bodybuilders, but like not like people that are like stepping on stage very often. So I mean like get shredded as the, like the most, I was talking to somebody on the phone today and I was like, I'm the most jack guy at the YMCA for my daughter's swim lessons. <laughs> like that's the kind of shredded I'm talking about, yeah. which is a cool feeling. You jump in the lazy river and you're the fittest guy, you know, that's cool. But like, to me, that's like the gen pop shredded that they're after. Usually a higher carb, low fat diet works best for that. You're less likely to store fat or I mean carbs and fat, but more than that, you want to use every part of your calories to benefit your training, your recovery, your stress management, and your performance in the gym, which means we need more room for carbs, which means I want to go on the lower side of fat only not because fat's bad or anything, but because the lower those fats go, if I can push them as low as possible while maintaining all their hormonal health, I just have more room for carbs, which fuels training and performance recovery. But 
in general, it's just that spectrum of, of activity. The less muscle you have or the less training you do, the, the less likely it is you need a lot of carbs, right? And you can balance those out. Um, now, calories always trump all. So anybody listening to this, whether you have 100 pounds to lose or 10 pounds to lose, you can have a perfectly even amount of calories coming from fats in carbs. If you're in a calorie deficit, you're going to lose the fat. Um, the more you train, the more you just need that energy to maintain the muscle, which means you need more carbs and you can yeah. lower the fats. And then the less often you train, less active you are, you can lean more towards fats if that's going to be the smart decision for your health. And so that's kind of how we dictate going high carb or low carb, essentially. Totally. Yeah. Let's take it back to where you were talking about how like three to five days of tracking to figure out, you know, where you're going to put them and everything. Right. And th- that's called the primer phase. Correct. Correct. Yes. So let's talk about that. How, why is three to five days? What are you doing there? Like, what are you trying to figure out? What are you looking for in them? And so the, the primer phase, um, so there's like, uh, I would say the three to five day period is like the assessment phase, right? That's okay. where like, uh, and again, if we had one to two weeks, that's ideal, but somebody's paying for coaching. They want to get results and we understand that. So we're going to speed it up, which means three to five days for us to talk to them, ask them questions, track their diet, track their weight, assess their diet before we determine what we need to do. I'm assuming there's some people that say, Hey, I'm, I'll take two weeks. I want to like, yeah, for sure. You know, um, and sometimes if we think they need more time from a health perspective, what we'll do is we will talk to them. We will still set their maintenance calories, let's say, or if the client's not tracking calories, we're just going to focus on habits. We'll still put them at maintenance. And this is the primer phase. 90% of our clients go through this, uh, whether it's a week or it's a month, it doesn't matter. Like we're going to put you into a diet that is not a deficit. Um, and there are times where we do put people into a deficit, but it's not a intentional deficit like that. It's more like I was talking about earlier where somebody's inaccurately tracking, uh, and they say they're eating 2000 calories, really they're eating 2,400 and they just don't know it. So we're going to set their, their primer phase at 2000 calories, which would be a 400 calorie deficit, but they don't realize that because at the end of the day, they're incorrectly tracking. They think they're consuming 2000 calories, but they're eating more because they're eating poor choice foods that aren't really going to give you much bang for your buck with, as far as like staying full and health energy, stuff like that. Um, and they're misaccurately tracking. So we're going to teach them how to track and how to eat healthier foods that keep you full while limiting the, the junk foods, the eating out, that kind of stuff. And just obviously fit that in from a flexibility perspective, but let's put 80% of the diet in this healthy, whole voluminous perspective to, to keep you full. Um, in your maintenance primer phase, which is actually technically going to be a small deficit that gets you to lose weight. So now they can go into it with more energy, better feeling, learning habits, not focusing on the deficit, even though they are losing weight because they're in a deficit. And then other people, we keep them at maintenance or even a little bit above maintenance because they've been dieting before they came to us or they're in an unhealthy position. And we need to be at maintenance or above in order to fix hormones, improve biofeedback, energy, they want to, I have a guy right now that we're, we jumped into a maintenance and then we're going into a surplus because we want to put on some muscle before the cut starts. So there's different times to this, but essentially what we're doing is this primer phase is just the diet before the diet. And part of it is to quote unquote prime your system, whether that's recovery, hormones, metabolism, sleep, stress management, stuff like that. So the literal calorie increase helps us because it prepares your body for stress that's ahead, which is going to be the deficit where we cut calories. Part of it is psychological. So we don't want to put you straight in deficit because you have a lot of mental fatigue and stress from dieting previously or work or emotions or personal life. Let's not put you in a deficit. Let's actually fuel your brain, fuel your uh, body and recover from stress. And this is even for me, like I was not dieting for a while before my show prep started. So now that the show prep started, I'm ready to eat nothing but chicken and broccoli. Like 
not literally eating any broccoli right now, but point being is like, I can eat really clean consistently without any issue because I've been eating two free meals a week. I've had a lot of calories. I've had a lot of flexibility and you do that. So you don't step into the diet with mental fatigue and diet fatigue. And then the third reason would be, um, just from a habits perspective, maybe they don't really understand how to track, how to weigh their food, how to measure things properly. They don't know a lot about the diet itself. Um, maybe they're really OCD with, my calories say 200 grams carbs. I have to hit 200 grams carbs. Like we want to teach them like, Hey, like there's a range, just be within this range of those 200 grams carbs. And that's an A plus like you're killing it. Blueberry idea. The blueberry idea. Don't take one blueberry off the scale to make it exactly the amount that you think you need. So we do these things in this priming phase to just essentially like exactly how it sounds prime you for the diet. Um, and I actually like this a lot too, cause I started doing this years ago and it's, it's cool to see how many different like coaches coming up and how many coaching companies even kind of piggybacked off that and call it something else. Some of them call it prime phase. They don't even care. And obviously I, I didn't copyright the word, so I don't care, but many companies do this and they call it different things. The, I've heard, uh, just the prep phase, the, the diet before the diet, um, the, uh, the filler week, uh, a lot of different things, yeah. but basically it's, it's, doing the same thing. Um, but it's just preparing them for the diet. And then we get to actually step into a deficit. So we've, I mean, we've established their maintenance calories. We've determined their macros. We've set those macros and built those habits in this priming phase, uh, during their maintenance period before going into the actual deficit. And then we actually create a deficit to lose weight. And if you're going to create a deficit to lose weight, typically you should create at least a 10, but usually like a 15 to 25% deficit. Sometimes like according to research, you can look at fat loss studies and a lot of them go to 30 or 35%. So technically you can create a 30 to 35% calorie deficit, but that's a big chunk of food. And it's very difficult. Like if somebody's maintenance is 2,500 calories, you're dropping them from that right to what would that be? Um, uh, like 1500. Damn. I mean, cause half of it would be tw- uh, 1250. So, uh, times how, uh, like 35%, 875, 1625, 1625. So that like going from 2,500 to 1600 calories is, is a big jump. Yeah. Very hard to adhere to. So I usually stick with the 15 to 25% initially cause that deficit is big enough. And the reason studies use 30 to 35% is because it's a study. They need people to lose the weight for the study to be effective. Um, and they want to guarantee that people that drop weight every week and all the people who drop out of the study because they can't adhere to it, you don't hear about them. So like if it says they took a sample size, <laughs> exactly. Well, if they took a hundred people through a, a study and 20. they give you these results and stuff, um, sometimes they'll tell you, like if you read through the actual research that only 20 people came out on top, but if you read the abstract, it says they took a hundred group, a hundred people. And then it, you skip to the conclusion and it says, you know, this was the result, but you don't read the part where it says how many people dropped out or whatever. Um, and two, it's a controlled setting. So it's easier, you know, you get a lot of buy-in from these people to do it. So, um, and then on top of that as well, a lot of times weight loss studies like this, they're also people who have 80 plus pounds to lose. So it is a big deficit, but technically if somebody's 300 pounds, their maintenance calories is really high. So it's not as difficult to adhere to, especially in a controlled manner like that. Um, but nonetheless, that initial deficit has to be big enough to create success right out the gate. 
and then uh, not so high that you can't adhere to it. But that's why that 15 to 25% is a big enough margin to really get you out of maintenance because maintenance isn't a dead set target. So even though we've established this maintenance number, it's a, it's a range, right? So if we establish 2000 as your maintenance range, it's probably somewhere between 1800 and 2200. But if we slash 15 to 25% of your calories, you're definitely going to get below that lower end of the range of 1800 into a deficit and you're going to see success. If you drop your calories 5%, you go to 1900 and now you're still above the low end of your maintenance. and You're not going to lose much weight if at all. And that's frustrating. You yeah. feel like you're dieting because you're technically eating less, but you're not losing any weight. But once you get the weight loss moving because of that big deficit and a plateau arises, that's when we can make minor adjustments to actually drop it further. So how would, how do you make those adjustments at a plateau? The first way is obviously just bigger energy, <laughs> you know, bigger deficit. Yeah. So we can drop calories or we can add cardio mm. plain and simple or increase steps, which would be the same thing. So like we have three routes. Do we increase your step count? Do we add low intensity or high intensity cardio? which if you're in a fat loss phase, usually we're adding low intensity because more high intensity cardio on top of lifting is just taxing. Totally. And then the third way is obviously just drop your calories. So the way I look at this is from a coaching lens is, is first and foremost, what is going to create the biggest effect? So if results come first, am I going to probably get the biggest uh, return of my investment by dropping their calories from food, adding cardio or uh, increasing step count? 95% of the time dropping calories is going to be the, the biggest bang for your buck simply because it's the most accurate way to guarantee step counters aren't always accurate. Um, cardio machines aren't always accurate and your energy levels depend on how fast you move. So unless you're and this is why like I've had clients ask me this as well. And this is why it's so common in bodybuilding. But like if we're in a serious fat loss phase and I'm like, Hey, I want you to do uh, the treadmill at this setting, like this incline with this mile per hour. And it's like, well, can I just do hikes and say, can I do this instead? Can I do that instead? If it's a very casual fat loss phase, we have a long time to go. It's, it's like maintenance cardio. Absolutely. If we're, if we have a deadline and we're being very intentional about fat loss, no, because <laughs> we want to standardize it. Yeah. If you're going at three miles per hour at a 10 incline, I know for a fact, no matter what you're going at the same speed every single week, not like oh, I didn't get much sleep. So I'm walking slower today, which means you burn less calories. Because if the machine is at three miles per hour and a 10 incline, you got to keep up, you got to keep up. You're going to fall on your face. Yeah. So like no matter what, we can guarantee that you're burning those calories. Um, and then the second question is what are they going to adhere best to? So sometimes I might say, well, if I cut 300 more calories, I guarantee they're going to drop, but I don't think they're going to adhere to that. If I cut calories, they're going to be, they're going to fall off because they're already struggling with the diet or they're already having a little bit of cravings and we're going to have to implement refeeds or whatever. So I'm going to add cardio or increase our step count. And a lot of times I'll ask them, what do you think you're going to hear best to? Because they'll have more buy-in if they make the decision. That's just human psychology. But also, if there's something that I'm not thinking of that they feel, if they just have a bias towards cardio and I don't realize it, like there's no signs that say they wouldn't adhere to the diet, but what do you think? Yeah. They're like, I would love to go on more walks. Can we just increase my knee? I'm like, well, shit, okay. No matter what, we're going to be increasing your, your energy expenditure. So we want to work with the client on that. But essentially, we're just we're just adjusting it. So um, if we're adjusting your step count, it's probably going to be ten to twenty percent um, increase. If we're adjusting cardio, it's it's there's no like good number for this. Like if we're adjusting calories down, it's five to ten percent. Like I'm either dropping your calories by five percent via carbs or fat or a combination of both, ten percent at most. So ten percent of two thousand calories is two hundred calories. That might be uh, you know a little fat, a little carb. It might be all fat. Depends on their macros. Yep. But with cardio on treadmill and like stuff like that, it, I could probably create a formula, but it's just more, most of the time it's just experience. Yeah. You know, you look at it and you go, okay, how much are they doing? 
how much can they adhere to? If they're doing three days a week for 30 minutes, could they adhere to a 40 minute? Cause that's an extra 30 minutes throughout the week. And we're just adding 10 minutes to each session. It's in incline walks, not that big of a deal. Sure. But if they were doing four times a week, could I add a fifth day? Maybe, Damn. maybe not. If you're going to a bodybuilding show, prepare for it. <laughs> you know, I'm doing four days a week right now, but it's 25 minutes. It'll probably go up time-wise and I'll probably be, end up doing cardio six or seven days a week. Guaranteed fucking T. That's just, that's bodybuilding prep. Sweet. I don't <laughs> have fun, bro. Yeah. I don't have a single client that I have doing. Actually, I do have one client uh, seven days a week because he's six weeks out from a bodybuilding show. Go. He's like at the tail end of getting shredded, you know? So like, it's just different. Yeah. But um, for normal people, I don't think that's necessary. So it's, it's more about like, if we bump this up, is it going to be significant enough? If we're like, hmm, they're doing two days a week at 30 minutes. Let's make it 35 minutes. That will not do anything. You know, it's just not a big enough adjustment to cause better results or breakthrough. Everybody a plateau. walking an hour. 100%. Yeah, yeah we got to in- increase the time or add in a third day. Like, it's the only way. Or we increase steps because that's separate because that's non-exercise activity. It means you're just walking throughout the day. Get up and move more. Um, but calories are always going to be like dropping your calories in the diet are going to be the most accurate. And Love it. So, um, I think that kind of brings us then, right? Yep. That's the last of it. So, uh, basically the, the goal is again, to teach you more about calories and macros and kind of get you in the brain of a coach who has been doing this for quite a while. Um, and, and all in all, like the thing I will cap off with is, is everything we said is, is pretty detailed actually, but it's, it's still, and this is the part where like going back to the beginning, the more, you know, the less, you know, cause to an extent. Calories are calories. Like it's almost like the more I find out about science, the more simple I realize it all is. It really does just boil down to uh, calories. However, the more I know about calories in coaching, the more I realize it's the psychology behind how you get somebody to adhere to the diet. It's the type of foods. It's the way they're eating. It's the way you talk to them, the way you coach them, the adjustments you make at the right time. Um, And so those things have been kind of general, generally spoken here because we don't have somebody sitting in front of us. But those are the things that you realize as you coach more and more, you realize you don't know much about that influence the way those calories go to work for you so much more than just setting some macros. Um, And I really wanted to get you guys to understand that and also understand that no matter what, if you are dieting for success, if it's working, it's because you're in a calorie deficit. So stop. If you're one of these people, stop trying to avoid tracking calories in macros and thinking there's a better way to do it. There's not like that is a very black and white statement. I usually don't do that, but there's literally not a better way. If you're trying to lose a lot of weight, there's just not a more accurate way. If there's a better way, there's a better way for you individually because you have a personality type or a perception about calories and macros that is a little bit skewed or, or, uh, non-beneficial. And that's fine that there's nothing wrong with that because sometimes that is the case and we don't want to use macros because it might do more harm than good. It's rare, but that is, that's a fact. However, we can't say that macros are a bad diet because any diet could cause issues with somebody mentally. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's the most accurate way to do things. Yep. And that's what we care about. I think if you're just curious, again, I will link the TDE calculator um, for our website. It's taylorcoachingmethod.com backslash TDE. So go ahead and go check that out. But if you have any other questions, please go to the homepage, click the big yellow button and apply for coaching because this is what we do. We appreciate you guys listening and we will catch you next time.